Welcome to Hope Renewed, the podcast of PIR Ministries. Thanks for connecting to Hope Renewed, the in-depth podcast about pastoral renewal and restoration. I'm Tom Jameson, and along with co-host Sean Nemechek, we explore the issues and challenges pastors face and help cultivate a renewed hope for healthy ministry lives. Today on Hope Renewed, we are sitting down with Jack and Sharon Brown, whose journey in ministry has truly been a personal discovery for each of them about who they are in Christ. Jack and Sharon have served in a variety of ministry settings, including as co-pastors together. Their unique perspectives and experiences have uncovered a wealth of hope for pastors and ministry leaders, and we are privileged to share with them today. Jack and Sharon Brown, welcome to Hope Renewed. Thanks Great for having to us. be with you. Guys, it's, it's so much fun to have you with us. Uh, just for the benefit of our listeners, would you just tell us a little bit of your, the story of your ministry journey together? Where did it start and what stops have you made along the way? Uh, we met in seminary, uh, walking to a reception for new students and uh, became very fast friends. And then eventually more than that. And, uh, you know, at seminary, you do these internships uh, at, at our seminary. They called it field education. And we both did it at different places our first year. But then second year, we thought it would be really fun if we could do it together. And so uh, I went to the church where I had done my first year of field education and said, you know, could we maybe bring someone else? She's really cool. <laughs> you know, let's, can we have, uh, um, and of course I had my other reasons who ever wanted to be around her. <laughs> I was going to say no competing interests <laughs> right. there. Um, but uh, yeah, they were totally open to it. They uh, were excited about it. We, so that was really our first experience of doing ministry together. Um, we, uh, you know, did the typical seminary internship things we would preach and, you know, I led the youth group. I, I, we always talk about, you know, and joke about the fact that, you know, seminary interns are almost automatically the youth pastor, um, which was a very interesting experience. I quickly learned that was not my calling, but uh, we had a blast working together. Um, but then something very interesting happened about halfway through that year, the senior pastor who would, we, we had become really good friends with as well, uh, announced that he was leaving. This little tiny church uh, in uh, Milford, New Jersey, this little tiny country church. Uh, he was taking a, uh, a somewhat larger church in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And after a number of conversations, the elder board at that church said, you know what we're going to do? Um, we're not going to bring in an interim pastor right away. We're going to let Jack and Sharon just kind of um, uh, be the main minister ministerial presence for the next few months of their the last few months of their internship, and then we'll bring in pastors if we need, you know, um, you know, weddings, funerals, sacramental type duties, things like that. So, for how many months was it, Sharon? I was trying to remember that we were doing that. We started in January and went would have gone through May. Yeah, and and so we had uh, experience preaching every week, uh, taking, you know, kind of alternate Sundays and such, but it was really also, you know, it was, it was, a, I think the church, uh, saw this as an opportunity to build into our lives and give us, you know, some experience that maybe the average seminary intern wouldn't have, but it also just started to plant seeds. I would say in us of realizing just how much we loved doing ministry together. 
and what a great team we made. And even back then, we started to see how, you know, the gifts that God had given us for ministry complemented each other really well. Um, we kind of filled in each other's gaps in a lot of ways. And uh, it was just, it was just really, it was fun. It was exciting. It was educational. Um, and it definitely strengthened our relationship, you know, uh, as we were moving forward toward what would eventually be marriage. And uh, yeah, we are so thankful that that church was willing to kind of take a risk and uh, do something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. And we did have, you know, uh, pastors who would come in and, uh, and uh, we even had uh, someone from our seminary who came in, guest preached on an Easter Sunday. So, you know, the seminary was aware of what was happening. Uh, and we were, you know, you had to fill out reports for the field education office. And so they were supportive in that as well. In fact, I seem to remember that someone from the field education office, you know, was working with someone on the elder board of that church to just kind of hear the parameters of what it's going to go on and, and here's how we can use this time to really let it be what God would have it be and in, in building these two people up in their future ministry. In fact, I remember the very first Sunday that we were scheduled um, to take leadership. Jack was scheduled to preach and 48 hours before he was scheduled to preach, he was hospitalized with a kidney stone actually. And so I remember sitting in the hospital room talking about talking through his notes in terms of what you know the scripture text that had been chosen and what he was intending to preach is this very first transitional Sunday reminding the congregation who is in charge in fact I think that was the title of of the sermon was who's in charge here and it was pointing to Jesus well then we had the funny moment of me stepping into the pulpit on Sunday morning when Jack was the one listed in the bulletin of you know no the Lord really is in charge here and it was such a beautiful kind of preview of our life together in ministry that we could support one another flex to crises and 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 really move ahead in the power of the spirit with mm. what God had asked us to do I would imagine that would have taken such a unique posture of the congregation to be open to something like that uh, to be willing to to receive how God might be using that uh, was that your experience then as you went on in ministry life? It was. Um, each of the congregations where we were privileged to serve brought their gifts of encouragement. They were places where we were able to um, be stretched and um, to grow. And certainly that first one, I think they, they took very prayerfully their role in our formation as pastors. And so we'll always be, be grateful for that. You had asked um, earlier, Sean, about kind of the stops along the way, because we certainly have had those in ministry as well. Um, our first church after we were married, we, we were married our senior year in December, and then our first church posting was in Scotland. So we moved to Glasgow, Scotland as, as newlyweds and served at two different congregations until our son David was born. And then um, I took some time off when David was young and Jack took the lead um, on pastoral staff in various settings. Um, we had an opportunity um, when David was a preschooler to serve together on a church in Tulsa, a staff in, a, in Tulsa. And then we moved to Southampton, England, where we served on a pastoral staff together. And then the biggest stop um, in terms of formation for me in my life with, with Christ was when we moved to Grand Rapids in 2003. And we knew when the Lord um, spoke that it was time to head back to the States. 
after serving in England for three years. We knew that it was going to be Jack taking the lead in terms of finding the pastor position. And so when one opened that we knew God was calling Jack, Jack was being called to serve, um, it was just an opening for one pastor. And I said that was fine. And it was fine. I thought it was fine until, you know, you get into the new home in, in Michigan and I didn't have an office and I didn't have a role and I didn't have a title and my phone wasn't ringing and no one really cared that I was also a pastor and I wasn't being asked to teach Bible studies or preach or visit mm. the hospital. And I had such a profound sense of disorientation once my pastoral identity was stripped away, then who am I? And I couldn't even hide behind having young children at home because our only son, David, was eight. And I would walk him to the bus stop in the morning and walk back to an empty apartment where no one needed me. And I remember walking back one day and just saying to the Lord, I don't know who I am when I'm not serving you. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say, now you understand. Your personal and professional identities are so enmeshed. You don't have a clue who you are when you're not serving me, when you're not um, being useful. And I, I began to see just how those socially acceptable idolatries had become embedded in me, that I defined myself by my usefulness in the kingdom, by how necessary I was to the work of God. And the Lord, in a very severe season of pruning, began to set me free from those definitions of finding my worth and significance um, by my work for God, rather than who I am as the beloved in Christ. And so um, it ended up being three years before the Lord opened um, an opportunity for pastoral ministry for me again. And it meant at that point, he, in his genius way, um, opened a part-time job for me at a church in crisis and then transitioned Jack from his pastoral role at one particular church into co-pastoring with me for this congregation in crisis where we ended up serving them for 10 years. So ministering together as a couple must have some some challenges. What was it like uh, serving in pastoral ministry as a, a married couple? I remember the first um, day we were talking with this new congregation about, because it was originally an interim sort of situation. I was hired for, you know, 20 hours a week to serve as pastoral care. Jack was brought in serving kind of part-time both places. And then we realized the Lord was calling us um, into permanent ministry there. And we had a conversation with the leaders in the congregation and they said, how can we best serve you um, in your ministry here together? And Jack and I told them two wow. things. Please don't ever pit us against one another as pastors. That our marriage is strong, but that's a lot of stress on a marriage where you say, well, we prefer so-and-so's preaching, or we're not happy if so-and-so doesn't do the hospital visit, right? Mm -hmm. And so please don't do that. Um, secondly, we have one child at the time David was kind of 11, I think, 10 or 11. And I, we said, we, we can't have David growing up resenting God's church or feeling like um, the older sibling that has 
70 people in it <laughs> gets more of mom and dad's attention than he does. Mm. So give David the space to make his own choices about how he will participate in the life of the body and what he will do. Nurture that freedom in him so that he grows up loving God's church, not resenting it. And in the 10 years there, we can honestly tell you that the congregation didn't violate either one of those things once in wow. 10 years. They were so committed because it can be a precarious place for a husband and wife to be serving a congregation together, full of joys, yes, but also full of potential pitfalls. So without the congregational support in that ministry, I think it would have been a much different experience. Well, and, and we were blessed at that church, in, in, as we've already, as Sharon's already shared, in so many ways, we were also blessed with a really strong pastoral relations committee. Uh, as Sharon said, this was a congregation that had been in, was in crisis. They had gone through a really difficult season. They were broken themselves. And it really, that, that brokenness kind of informed how they started seeing themselves and how they saw themselves in relationship to their pastor. Part of the brokenness that had taken place had to do with the relationship between the pastor and the congregation. And so as we began our work there, uh, they were very intentional about forming a pastoral relations committee that would support us. And, um, you know, that, that phrase and in, in the denominational backgrounds I come from, PRC, what they call a pastoral relations committee, can often, that, that term can strike terror in the heart of a pastor because it's a thinly disguised performance evaluation. And you get, mm -hmm. and basically you sit down and you hear from them every complaint that they've received about you. Uh, and then it just becomes what feels in some ways like a beating down. But then this PRC at uh, the church we were serving together the, again, that same kind of posture that they had during the interview process of, you know, how can we support you? How can we encourage you? How are you doing? How is your relationship with Jesus? How can we pray for you? Um, and yes, you know, there were issues that were brought up, but they were, they were, it was done in such a beautifully sensitive way. Again, honoring those two um, uh, requests that we had made of them during the interview process. And so for those 10 years, we had this just beautiful body of people building into us and, 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 and supporting us. And calling us to task when we weren't resting, when we weren't taking Sabbath, when we weren't taking vacation. And they would say, if you are not well, we will not be well. And so it was that constant exhortation and encouragement and not just for us, but what does David need? Is there anything we can offer him as well? So it was two members of our leadership team, our elders, plus two lay people. And, and what we were able to establish in that life together, we knew they were for us and they knew we were for them. And there was this mutual mm. love um, that enabled us to say hard things to one another when that was necessary as well. And the thing that happens, another thing that happened that was so beautiful through the years, they, in that relationship, they really saw it as a relationship, not just employee, it wasn't just employer, employee. It was, you know, we are a family, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are, like Sharon said, we are for one another. They started to see and understand um, 
our particular strengths and weaknesses in the job, in, in, in our roles in the church. And Sharon, you, you, you tell it better than I do, the, the, the observation that one member of the uh, PRC and leadership team had about the way we, we work together. Yeah, we were in a meeting one night and she said, it, here's what we have. We have two shepherds. Jack is the shepherd who's on the hillside to whom the Lord gives the vision. Like we're heading that way. And Sharon is the shepherd among the sheep saying, this one is thirsty. This one's too tired. Can't go any farther. This one has a broken leg. This one needs food right away. And she said, that's what we have in terms of the complementary gifts. And so they were willing to flex with us to say a a continual open-handedness really of our job descriptions to make sure that we were each serving um, to our highest potential in in Christ in terms of the gifts that we had been given, which again is rare. And I wish it weren't rare, but let's just say it's rare and beautiful. Yeah. And, and I'm, you know, I'm thinking in this of the pastor who's hearing this and saying, yeah, oh boy, wouldn't that yeah. be nice? Uh, wouldn't it be nice if I had a co-pastor? Wouldn't it be nice if I had a PRC that was for me and not against me? And and I mean, that's, we, we pray for that. We pray that, that churches would embrace uh, creating a culture of ministry health for their pastoral leadership, uh, as, such as you're describing. Uh, but isn't it important, and this is, this is what I love, that you went into your interview with a, a self-awareness, a self-understanding of what your limits yeah. were of what my giftedness is and and where I best serve the Lord and what the boundaries are on my life. Uh, and to be able to go into a, an interview uh, or to talk with church leadership from a perspective of, I am here, we are here to, to give our all to you. How will you care for us? Yeah. Because we understand these are the ways in which we need to be cared for. And I think too often pastors we neglect that. We go in thinking, you know, oh, I'm just going to ride in on the, the great stallion here and save the day and, and be all things to all people. And three years later, I'm a burnt piece of yes. toast because I, I wasn't caring for myself. I didn't help the church care mm. for me. And maybe that that's what I'm hearing is, uh, and a question would be, you know, uh, what did you see the ways in which you helped your congregations help you and, and create that? kind of uh, culture. Well, I think, um, you know, what we're describing here is, is so much of that comes out of the fact that here was a congregation that had experienced a season of brokenness. And I had had a season of brokenness as a pastor. I had had, I can't remember how, I guess it would have been, you know, six or seven, eight years uh, before this church that we served together. Um, and that really made me aware of, of what I needed. Um, and you know, I think, you know, my tendency would be kind of, you know, what you're describing Tom to, to come in and I'm going to be all things to all people, but that season that I had, had started to show me that, um, I just couldn't do that. Uh, so it gave a little more courage to, to speak up and and to ask for it but i think a, another huge piece of of what was happening in our own lives uh, personally that fed into this was what sharon was experiencing 
in her she she had she entered a, a program and I'll let you just talk about sharing the uh, learning spiritual disciplines and learning you know just kind of you know self care all those kinds of things that um, that that gave a framework for thinking you know about our life together but also the congregation's life. Yeah, that was happening um, at the same time. So out of my season of being pruned and removed from ministry, where I was left to confront what does it actually mean for me to find my rest in the love of God? And how can I continue to say yes to that? So as I was um, being deepened in that confidence in the love of God um, and not no longer defining myself by my performance or my abilities in the kingdom or my gifts in the kingdom, then those were the kinds of gifts and that posture that could permeate the life of a congregation. We were also blessed. This was a small group of people. When we began at the church, um, there were only 45 people left after a congregational split, a, a severe split. And so they were asking the question, can God raise the dead? Um, so there was this openness. And as Jack said, we were both coming in from um, seasons of loss and being shaped in pastoral ministry and in our personal identities. So there was this beautiful um, synergy between where the congregation was in terms of vulnerability and where we were in terms of vulnerability. And so mm-hmm. the desire was to move forward in authenticity. What does it mean if everything is stripped away and all of the, the, the kingdom things we used to do as a congregation? Um, and they used to do, they used to be a very busy church for God. If all of that is stripped away, who are we and where do we go from here? And that was the open-handed posture that the Lord met us in as we, as we move forward together. It was, it was beautiful. Almost like he knew what he, he was doing. does. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> but you know, I'll tell you what, and Jack, you may want to speak to this. It did create some conflict, um, with a church that was, um, was helping to support our ministry there. Do you want to speak to that? Yeah, we were we were there, as Sharon said, kind of out of the church that I had come to Grand Rapids to serve. Uh, it was same denomination, sister church. And when this smaller church experienced the split and went through all the difficulties, that's where this vision for Sharon could go on staff there. And hey, you know what? Jack could split his time and be part-time there and, and still have duties at the larger, more stable church. Uh, and this larger, more stable church, um, you know, they, I, I would, uh, fair to say, they had difficulty understanding what was happening now at the smaller church and this posture of brokenness, because the, the initial question was, well, what programs can we immediately implement at this smaller church? They're going to start building the numbers back. And what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? And one of our very earliest meetings with the leadership team at the smaller church, we decided we're going to do nothing but pray. And we literally shut everything down except Sunday morning worship. And everything else was devoted to just prayer and, and, and cultivating this posture of open hands. Lord, what would you have us do? What would you have us do? And that did create quite a bit of tension with the larger church that felt that we were moving too slowly are, are they setting themselves up for failure or do they see that things are so bad that they're, they're creating a, an environment or a situation where they can't be blamed if it falls apart? It, was, mm. it got really tense. It got really ugly, to be perfectly honest. You know, the churches were how, what, eight miles apart, nine, mm. ten miles mm. apart. And yet the culture, even the, the socioeconomic culture of the two areas was mm-hmm. so different that there was just, you know, it, it, I, I don't 
blame the the folks at the larger church you know it was just a lack of understanding and it mm-hmm. um it did get to the point where the the senior pastor a very beautiful man of the larger church just recognized you know we need to set jack free uh and just let mm-hmm. him be full-time at this church um and and they still continued god bless them to financially support us in the season of kind of you know, re I hesitate to use the word rebuilding because it was, it was about, you know, realignment and really more than rebuilding. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were so generous to us in that, but that, that, that kind of culture of, well, look, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? And no, we're, right now we're not doing anything. We're just listening. We're just praying. Speaking of that at, at this church that you're both now co-pastoring, uh, you took your leadership team through an examine practice. Can you describe to us what is an examine and why did you choose to do one with this leadership team? Yeah. So briefly, um, the examine comes out of the middle ages, um, 16, early 16th century with Ignatius of Loyola. And it's a, a, it's designed really for individuals rather than communities, but it's a daily review of your life with God. And it's noticing at the end of the day, you invite the Holy Spirit to draw your attention to the movement of your soul that day um, and to your life in the world. So you ask questions like, Lord, where was I aware of your presence? And where did I respond to you today? Where did you bring me to life? Where did you enable me um, uh, to serve and love well today? And we call those the consolation movements. And then the desolation movements, Lord, where was I on autopilot today? Where didn't I see you? Where did I resist the movement of your spirit? Where did I harden my heart? Um, where did I fail to love well? And so you do this prayerful examination of your life with God. And then the la- you can, you know, you celebrate and give thanks um, for what God enabled you to do and see. And you confess and grieve and receive forgiveness for the ways that you resisted the movement of the spirit. And then the last movement of the prayer is in light of what I've seen today, Lord, how might I live tomorrow differently? So if after a prayerful review of my day, I discover that I was quite impatient with interruptions, that I had my own agenda for the day, and I resented the people that, that didn't fit with my plan, there's a confession of the sin there, my own narrow-mindedness. But then, Lord, how might I live tomorrow where I'm more open to perceiving your presence in the midst of the interruptions? Where can I practically allow more space and margin? So it's that sort of prayer. Well, we had been at the congregation probably seven or eight years and thought we had heard most of the stories of um, both celebration and lament. And there was a lot of lament that we were doing. It was really when Jack and I began ministry there, we entered a congregation in trauma and we were in triage mode pastorally for a long time. And then working through the process of identifying bitterness and resentment and offering forgiveness. <clears throat> so our, we just, we felt the Lord leading us into taking what is a personal review, typically the examine and broadening it into community. So we sat over the course of several weeks with our leadership team and between all eight of us, there were those on the team who had been with the congregation from the beginning. So we had a tw- just a 20 year history. It was, a, it was a, a relatively new congregation. And so we asked both sides of the examine questions. Let's as a team 
ask the Lord to bring to mind those places in our congregational life where we were aware of the presence of God, when we were awake to what God was doing in our midst and where God enabled us to respond with faith, with hope, with patience, with love. Let's take time to celebrate those things that God quickens our attention to. Because when you have a congregation in crisis, often you can lean toward, oh, we've only ever had crisis or we've only ever had <laughs> lament or, you know, or sin, but let's practice leaning into those celebration moments too. And let's lean hard into, Lord, as a congregation, where are those times where we were asleep to what you were asking us to do, where we chose our own way, our own plans, our own wisdom? Show us those times when we operated in our own strength rather than yours, where we were overwhelmed with despair or, um, or fear or hardness of heart, where we didn't love you or our neighbors well, would you show us those places too so that we can corporately grieve, where we can corporately ask for your forgiveness and repent together without pointing fingers? Because you know some people had only been at the church for three years. Without pointing fingers at, at the history of this congregation to corporately own, this is our sin. This is how we have resisted you. And we heard stories of both celebration and lament, thanksgiving and sin that we had never heard before. And so it was this beautiful posture. And, and the posture of the examine is Psalm 139, search me, know me and reveal. And that's what we were saying corporately as a leadership team to the Lord, search us, know us and reveal because light comes as a gift to expose what's in the darkness. And we can always be confident it's the Holy Spirit's work when we see what we haven't seen before and can really lean into the grace of God that covers that as well. And that, that concept of ownership that Sharon's talking about was so key because I think a lot of times in a church that goes through a split, there, there might be a tendency to kind of um, point fingers at the folks who left and say they are the yeah. ones who are responsible for the crisis that we're in. They're the ones who made this happen and framing it as an examine and, you know, asking the Holy spirit to, to reveal patterns of thought and ill health and sin. And it really enabled, you know, the church to say, you know, we have, we do, we have to own some of this. There were ways that we thought about ministry. There were ways that we thought about what the church is supposed to be that, um, that were founded on, on false idols and were founded on, um, you know, wrong suppositions and all sorts of things. And, and that ownership is what, uh, you know, was really striking to me as we were doing this was watching people who had, like Sharon said, been there from the beginning, just this look in their eyes of, of realization. And yet it wasn't shame because yeah. the spirit was leading it. It was, mm. it was a, um, we've used this word a lot already uh, in the podcast, but it was a beautiful realization of God was being gracious and showing these things uh, so that we can share, as Sharon said, you know, pray through it together and repent and then receive grace in, in a whole new way. And, and you did this with the leadership team. Was there trickle down? 
obviously there must have been trickle down into the congregation at, at large. Um, I mean, was there resistance there uh, to to what was going on? There really wasn't. And we didn't do a, a specific exam like we did with a leadership team with the congregation. But the culture of the church, again, we, we had built into the culture of the church in our weekly worship times of confession and mm-hmm. repentance. Um, in fact, you know, whenever we did a pastoral prayer, before we'd pray for those people that have easy access to our affections, the ones we know and delight to pray for, we would pause and ask the Lord to bring to mind the people that have caused us pain, um, the people that have wounded us and sinned against us. Lord, bring them to mind so that we in silence can see them, name them to you and ask for the grace to forgive and to bless them. And so that was part of our, our weekly formation was the idea of um, the light of God revealing where we're stuck and captive and bound so that we can move forward in grace and forgiveness. So it really, it wasn't a big leap for the congregation to make when we came back after this time of examine and began to name and articulate some of the things that we had seen. And I think as is common in, in all pastoral ministries, especially after you, you leave that congregation, you, you, you sometimes look back and say, you know, was there something that we could have done differently. And, and to be honest, this is one place where I sometimes wonder, you know, could we have taken it deeper? Uh, could, could that practice have, have been applied in a way that, that affected the, the broader congregation? You know, it, it affected the leadership team greatly and it, it, it formed and, and shaped and, and, and enhanced how Sharon and I functioned in, within the church now that we had this deeper understanding of its, of its history. And it, it really opened up the leadership team of the church just in terms of understanding where they had been and now where they were going. Uh, so it had a profound effect on the ministry, but there's always a part of me that wonders, you know, could we have taken that even deeper? There's a bit of a caution there, isn't there, that uh, sometimes the leadership team of a church can have these spiritually formative moments, but forget to take the congregation on that journey with them. Uh, yeah, so that's, sure. that's a really interesting insight. Thank you, Jack. And doesn't that point us to the hope of heaven when, when all that will happen? Yes. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and we will all get there. And, and just, yeah, allowing that hope to infuse our present reality and living mm-hmm. according to it. So you've been co-pastors. Uh, you've served in various churches along the way. Now, neither of you are serving as pastors. Um, this is a little different uh, experience. What is your current ministry like? I know you have a ministry called Abiding Way. Uh, you can tell us a little bit about that, but I, I'd like to hear personally, what's, what's your ministry journey like now? Well, and it really begins kind of when the time at that church we were serving for 10 years, when that time started to come to an end, uh, Sharon, uh, out of her uh the training that she had been through that taught things like the examined prayer, uh, God, and, you know, she might want to share a little bit more about this, but God uh, led her to start writing books, specifically novels about spiritual formation. And we started to see what God was doing um, with those books. uh, And it was clearly her calling uh, to, to really step into, to live into this, a, a new identity as an author. 
So after about 10 years there, I think it was, was it in January of, of the, kind of the last month, the last year we were there, Sharon, that yeah. you, step, you stepped off staff and I stayed on staff for a few additional months. And those were some of uh, the most, I won't, I won't say miserable because God was still up to some really cool things, but they, they were difficult months because this, this partnership that we had developed, you know, was gone. I mean, in so many ways, I and mean, Sharon was, was writing and, and she was kind enough to involve me in some of that, you know, um, you know, my background in, in film production occasionally, you know, it was like, and writing, she was like, Oh, here, how do you, how do you see the scene unfolding? But, you know, in the end, it, that was kind of becoming her identity and I was still serving this church and it just, it just wasn't working. Part of that was just my sadness at the end of something that had been so wonderful and beautiful. Mm. So um, a few months after that, we, I just felt like God was saying, you know, Jack, it's all right. You can just step aside, um, you know, and, and let me handle the next step uh, for the church. So I actually took a job at a Christian college um, for a couple of years and sharing the writing ministry was really taking off as I was reflecting back on uh, an experience we had in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I remember uh, there was a church I was serving there. And at one point, a couple came in from Texas, a married couple, uh, both pastors, and they led the church through a, uh, a weekend of just kind of spiritual formation of, of you know, in, Pres- in Presbyterian churches, you don't really use the word revival, but you know, it was uh, kind of a a similar idea where we're just going to focus on Jesus for a few days together. And, and it was a beautiful, there's that word again, it's a wonderful thing that this couple did. And in the back of my mind, I always thought, wouldn't it be cool to do something like that? And uh, as my time at the Christian college started to wind down, we started asking God, you know, is there thing here with the kind of base uh, that Sharon has been building through her books and, and what at that point had also become a pretty extensive conference and travel ministry, you know, is there a ministry of spiritual formation uh, that perhaps God might call us to do together. And that's kind of the seed. I'll let you pick, kind of pick it up, Sharon. Um, but that was kind of the seed of thinking maybe we can, we can start something new. Yeah. And that was part of the significant transition as I was discerning that it was time to leave our congregation is because I was, I was traveling so frequently. It was a lot of international travel. And though the congregation was happy to support that and, and they viewed themselves as my sending body, I could no longer function as the sort of pastor that I felt called to be um, if, I, if I wasn't in town. And so, um, as Jack said, the, the traveling and speaking ministry was already there. But then there was a sense when um, Jack was freed up from pastoral ministry of partnering in that together. And so we did have an opportunity um, in 2017, 18, 19 to do some international work together and to lead some retreats together, which was a joy. And so that really um, became part of what we offer with what we call Abiding Way Ministries, which is deeply rooted in um, John 15 and the whole idea of that that deep resting and remaining um, in the Lord. And, you know, we abide in him as he abides in us. And um, so we began doing some retreats together. We began offering a daily 
um, scripture meditation, Lexio Divina. And so I do the recordings for that. And Jack puts those together six days a week um, out of our, our website and our um, podcast. Um, Jack had actually returned to serving part-time on a staff of a church. And at the end of 2019, we discerned the Lord was saying, um, let go of that because 2020 was filled with international commitments. And we saw the schedule and thought, well, Jack can't continue on congregational staff with all of these retreat commitments that we'll be doing. And then of course, 2020, huh? <laughs> you know? Mm. Um, so <laughs> we are, you know, you, you live perplexed, right? Because we could look at 2020 and say, we could see how the Lord was in um, the giving of all of those opportunities and the incredible ways that details fell together without our manipulating them or controlling them. So we leave, live that with open hands and say, here we are. And the Lord transitioned it into online ministry last year, leading retreats still internationally, but from the comfort of our own, own home. Um, don't, you know, it makes it way easier to, um, to travel, navigate that. So, mm. um, so we're in, in some flex, but so at the moment um, it's abating, abiding way is this, um, the daily opportunity to meditate deeply and richly in the word of God, um, the opportunities for some online um, retreats and hopefully someday some more in person. And then hoping to begin to um, curate spiritual formation resources for people that will be meaningful and significant um, as we all seek to abide more deeply in the love of God, the presence of God um, in that intimate communion. And even going back to, you know, our, our very first experience of ministry together and the, the realization that we had complementary gifts and, and we, we fill in each other's gaps and, and such so well, um, you know, through my experiences, uh, especially over the past, you know, 10 years or so, I have developed a, a huge passion for congregational formation you know, um, you know, Sharon, uh, the novels that she writes are, are, are really geared for, you know, ask, ha, giving every person who reads her novels or attends one of her retreats to, to think deeply about who they are in Christ. You know, what does it mean for them to abide deeply in Christ? And then, you know, what we want to start, when Sharon says start curating resources, working together, we have a wonderful board of folks that are alongside us in this ministry, um, including, you know, seminary professors and, and other pastors um uh and you know to start even looking at yeah you know, so i'm thinking back to that uh the, the examine uh practice that we did with the leadership team are there ways that we can start developing resources for congregations yeah. to say here's some things you can do together as a congregation to deepen your life in christ and 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 see you through difficult seasons you know i i'm just struck i i, I can't imagine what churches are going through right now uh, their their mm -hmm. whole I, again I, identity 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 is, is such a, is such a key uh, issue for me it always has been and and for congregations and I think God is you know everything that everything that can be shaken will be shaken right and that's kind of where mm -hmm. we are right now yeah. and I think to be able to curate and offer some resources for that would be a wonderful gift. We've been hearing this continued theme through our our whole discussion of what does it look like when Christ leads the church. And uh, it's just been a profound gift, I think, um, because sometimes it doesn't feel that way, especially in a small church. Sometimes we, we lose sight of that, that fact, and the leadership loses sight of who's really in charge and being Christ, not the pastor, not the, the board. So in, in light of that, 
What words of hope can you offer to maybe church leaders who are listening today or or pastors who may be discouraged about uh, the state of their ministry? Well, I think uh, the first thing that comes to my mind, you know, really thinking about pastors, as I mentioned, I had a, a season of very deep and profound uh, discouragement and brokenness a few years ago uh, in, in my pastoral ministry uh, before we ever came to Grand Rapids. And uh, the one thing I realize now as I look back on that is I, I didn't tell anyone. Uh, I mean, Sharon could obviously tell. But there were things that I wasn't telling her, you know, I was, I was just keeping it all inside. Uh, I didn't reach out. I didn't, I didn't have um, a, a support network of any kind. And it, it, it was, it was dark. It was very dark. And so the, the first thing that I think about, and when I've had a chance, I've been blessed with a few opportunities to speak to graduating seminary students over the past few years. You know, I always talk about, um, you know, don't be afraid to reach out and to get help. Uh, in fact, when we moved to Grand Rapids, uh, the Lord said to me, how long are you going to just leave this stuff buried inside of you and let it continue to become toxic? And so one of the first things we did when we moved to Grand Rapids was I said, um, I'm going to find a Christian counselor and just start. I had, I had issues from my childhood as well that had just gone up completely unresolved. And, uh, I've been with that same Christian counselor now for about 15 years and, you know, she is wonderful and she has helped me, uh, in so many ways. So that's the first thing I would say is, you know, reach out, reach out and, and make, make connections mm. with, you know, someone, if it's a counselor, if it's a friend, if it's a group of friends, if it's a small group of other pastors, you know, whatever it might be. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Even reach out to PIR there you ministries. Go. You know? there you go. We, <laughs> you we, we, we are there. huge fans of what you guys do. Unashamed plug. Thank you very much for that. Sharon, what would you say to discourage pastors? Uh, the same sort of thing. Um, it's so It can be so severely isolating in pastoral ministry. So to find um, a couple of trustworthy people and even you know through PIR ministries to find other um discouraged pastors to form community. And that's, mm. that's what I'm hearing a lot. I, I work with in spiritual, as a spiritual director. So I, I, I do, I am alongside um, a lot of pastors and to be able to find a community where you can be heard, where you have a commitment to one another, to be a safe space, a trustworthy steward of one another's stories and to find um, communities of pastors where you can be that for one another is really important. I think also as we think about um, congregations, are we willing to let the Lord search us with light to reveal our own hardness of hearts, our fears, our patterns of sin? Do we want to be the sort of place where we can be vulnerable and authentic with one another? Do we want to be the sort of place where we can be honest about um, the way our regrets or our shame? or our desire to move forward in a different way. And maybe just begin by asking that question. We are in a season of upheaval. We are in a wilderness season. And the beauty of a wilderness season is that um, all of our familiar props and idols that, that make life work for us are stripped away. And so the opportunities that come with seasons like this are enormous. If we will watch for what God is revealing to us, both individually and corporately. In fact, if I could just share a quick story, um, 
uh, I went to a pastor's conference a few years ago, uh, and it was being led by Pete Scazzaro uh, on emotionally healthy spirituality. And you guys know, how, folks listening know how it is when you're a pastor and you go to a conference, the number one thing you're thinking about is what am I going to learn here that I can take back and teach the church? <laughs> no. And so there were probably, you know, 60 or 70 of us in this room. Then we, we may have started that conference in that posture of I'm going to learn great stuff and it's going to that I'm going to teach everyone else. But very quickly, the Lord started doing something very different in that room. And before long, uh, there were just amazing stories being shared of burnout and discouragement and brokenness. And, you know, uh, it, it was in the context of, you know, Pete Scazzaro saying, you know, be honest with yourself and be honest with one another. And, um, let go of this idol of performance. I think that was kind of the main theme that started to come through. And I think that speaks to individually to pastors, but you know, Sharon was just talking about congregations. You know, we have these idols that we hold on to. And when the Lord starts to pry our fingers off them, it's it's just an amazing thing. And and I watched for two days as a group of pastors, you know, we're we're letting go and receiving from God a, a, a permission to be themselves and to, uh, to, to let him do what he was doing and stop t dictating to God what he needed to do. Uh, and uh, that, uh, that will always go with me. And I think in every ministry context I'm in from now on. It's so exciting to hear how God has uh, tilled the fields of your life and to see the fruit that is being produced in that. How can people access uh, Abiding Way and, and some of the other resources that you have? Yeah, our website is abidingway.life, L-I-F-E. And um, we have, like I said, the, the Lexio podcasts are, they're posted there on the website, but you can also access them through any of the podcast platforms. Um, if you're interested in, particularly in, in my work, um, the workshops and events I do around my books, or some of the retreats that I do um, that are separate, distinct from Abiding Way, you can visit my website, which is SharonGarlowBrown.com. And we will make sure that we post those links in our program notes. And uh, we, we neglected to say, and Jack, you brought up Sharon's books, we did have Sharon on as a guest in a previous podcast, and we will have that link in the notes as well if people want to hear more about your work um, with your writing. Uh, guys, it's, it's just been great having you with us, um, Sharon. Uh, congratulations on being our, our repeat guest for the first time. And, and Jack. I am honored. Thank Jack, you. It's, it's been so nice to have you on the, the podcast as well. And maybe we'll make you a repeat guest at some point, too. Uh, but uh, That would be an honor. Thank you so thank much you. for joining us. And as always, we invite you, our listeners, to rate and review Hope Renewed in iTunes or your favorite podcast app and to share this podcast with your friends on social media. It's a great way to help us continue to bring hope to others. Thanks for joining us today. It is our prayer that your hope in Christ is continually renewed as you fix your eyes on him. PIR Ministries partners with God and the church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration to cultivate new hope for healthy ministry lives. You can learn more about us at our webpage, pirministries.org, or email us at info at pirministries.org. Thanks for joining us for Hope Renewed, and remember, 
the hope Christ offers will never put us to shame.